Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Ahí está el córner. Gol. Gabriel Paulista. Marca el primero para el Arsenal. El córner que sacó Mesut Ophil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. Goodly New Year to you, James. Ah, goodly New Year to you as well. And to everyone listening, I hope you have a very, very happy New Year and and that. 2016. It's bananas. It feels like the future and like stuff should be happening in the future that, that we don't have, you know. But, but there you go. I know. Hoverboards. We we, still wait. The wait goes on. Well, they have them, these things that are called hoverboards now, which clearly aren't hoverboards because, number one, they have wheels, and number two, they they don't hover. If they've got wheels, I'm not interested. Yeah. I mean, I want something wheelless, ideally. Yeah, like a jetpack. Yeah. Oh, jetpack. Again, they exist, but I just think they're genuinely hazardous. Mm. Yeah. Um, Oh, I know the hoverboards thing you mean. They're like a sort of like little... They're kind of Segway-ish, aren't they? Yeah, but without the handle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's not a hoverboard, mate. That's a Segway without a handle. Yeah, yeah. They they must think we're idiots. Marketing people again, you know, trying to pull the, the wool over our eyes by calling something it's not. So marketing people aside, and, uh, you know, a Happy New Year as well to any marketing people that are listening, of course. We don't want to mm. isolate them in, in any way. Um, here we are at the start of 2016. Hoverboard less, but top of the table. Is it hovering at the top of the table, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. We're a footballing uh, hoverboard. It's kind of, in a way. Um, Mesut Ozil looks a bit like he's on a hoverboard at times, doesn't he? The way he glides around mm. around the pitch. It's nice to be top. It's really lovely. It was going to be extra delicious, but then Manchester City ruined it by coming back against Watford. That annoyed me. Yeah, two very good goals, though, weren't they? Yeah, ominous. Certainly ominous. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I think one of the things uh, when we did the live... Arscast Extra was that mm. uh, I spoke about Sergio Aguero and I said that I hoped his hamstrings went twang. And everyone mm. kind of went, oh, you shouldn't really say that. They laughed a bit, but went, oh, you know, you shouldn't really say that. Hands up out there right now who would like Sergio Aguero's hamstrings to go twang. I'd like them to go more than that. I'd like them to explode. I'd like them to come clean off. My, my, my hand is in the air. I'm just, just for the record, this is an, uh, an audio medium, but my hand is in the air. I'm sure around the globe, hands of Arsenal fans just shot up in the air. Yeah, I do think his his goal was particularly good, and um, yeah, the more the the sooner the sooner he sidelined again, 
the better. Any voodoo experts out there listening, this is your time. Yes. We call upon you. Yeah, come on. But look, we can't do much about Manchester City apart from when we play Manchester City and when we did play them recently, we beat them and what we can control or what we are masters of are our own performances, our own destiny. We are literally the masters of our own destiny. And since we last spoke, it's been two games. Am I right? Oh, has it? Who else do we play? Newcastle? Or no, we didn't. We played... Okay, no, it was only the one game because we did the last Sorry, one after yeah. after Bournemouth. So we, we've we've played Newcastle um, and, and won. Yeah, I mean, it was not a good game, was it? No, it wasn't much fun to look at. And no. uh, yeah, in the middle of it, my, my entire internet went off. So I missed about the first 15 minutes of the second half. And from what I could gather, that was not a bad thing at all. No, not at all. I mean, there was a very good save from Petr Cech in there. Um, I think from Jorginho Wijnaldum. Um, His first name is Jorginho. I believe so. Have I made that up? I don't I mean, it know. sounds like I've made it up. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure you're looking it up now. It's I am. It's sort of too good to be true. It's Trevor. Trevor. Uh, I knew all along. Trevor Wijnaldum. I knew it was something like that. Yeah. Not even Trevorino. <laughs> it is actually uh, Jorginho. Extraordinary, eh? Mm. Um, but I, I'm going to name my son that, I think, if I ever have one, mm. which seems unlikely at this point, but Georgina. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yes, brilliant save from Jack. But other than that, not much going on. And the first half was... Dire. I mean, the first sort of 10 minutes were okay. Hector Bellerin was tearing them apart, but we didn't capitalise. And then it became... Well, I suppose it became a very typical match for, for that day, really. I mean, if you looked around the Premier League, there weren't a vast number of goals. It wasn't a particularly entertaining round of fixtures I think the exertions of the winter sort of period the festive period had taken their toll on pretty much everyone by that point mm. yeah I mean it did look a tired performance and uh, yeah you know Maybe when the you fans are fans as well you know well yeah the atmosphere wasn't uh, wasn't exactly electric at the Emirates Stadium that tends to happen though doesn't it around some of these New Year games everyone's fucking knackered after what's you know been a a festive period of indulgence and everything else it, mm. it can happen that, that this happens but you know cl- crowd react to the kind of performance and to be fair I did hear the crowd on a number of occasions trying to rouse the team from its stupor um, but sure. you know it was one of those games where w- w- I don't think there was any lack of effort but just sometimes things on the day don't really click at all and look Newcastle had some good chances I think we can be thankful that A they don't have much in the way of finishers but B we have Petr Cech yeah I thought he was really excellent made a number of crucial saves um, I mean it's it's always I'm always what's the word loathe I'm always loathe to quote John Terry but it, when we signed Petr Cech he said that he might be worth 12 to 15 points a season I think he probably accounted for three of those against Newcastle mm. uh, because had we gone behind we did not look like uh, we'd be in the sort of form to turn it around. And actually, they were pulling us apart on the break with relative ease at times. So he was massively, massively important, and uh, as he has been, really, all season long. I mean, since that opening day against West Ham, he's been remarkably consistent and a, a massive, massive asset. Yeah, fantastic. And you just feel so much more calm and assured with him in there. And even when games aren't going particularly well, 
you you feel you just feel better for his presence in there, and I think the team probably feels a bit better for his presence. Um, perhaps a suggestion that maybe they they could um, I don't know be a little complacent when you've got a goalkeeper like Petr Cech in your side, and you think well keeper will save us. We don't have to quite work as hard. I was a little concerned about the amount of crosses that we allowed in from areas that we don't we don't usually. Yeah, that was a bit of a worrying trend, especially after. We made that mistake against Southampton too. Um, and, you know, Newcastle, they don't have great attacking threat, but Mitrovic is decent enough in the air and has scored against us before, I think, actually, when he was at his previous club. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that can be complacency. I think that generally that's more likely to be just that bit of tiredness. Like I say, I mm. wonder if getting out to a winger as a fullback is that much harder after playing this many games in succession, especially someone like Hector Bellerin, who... You know, hasn't really been able to rotate because it seems the match of Debussy is on his way out. He's played an awful, awful lot of football mm. and he's got that very energetic style all the way up and down the right flank. He must be absolutely knackered. So I can understand being a little less sharp than usual by this point. Yeah, just interestingly, as we're speaking, there's a story that's breaking on the Telegraph website which says that we're recalling Serge Gnabry from West Brom. And I really? think there is a rule in the Premier League that you can only loan one player from one club. And the story that I heard uh, over the weekend was that Matthew Debushi is going to West Brom on loan for the second half of the season. So I think if we look at that, uh, the the Gnabry thing, I don't think it's as much to do with us um, wanting Gnabry back to play first-team football. I think it's to make space for Debushi's uh, departure. So that's an interesting one. And yeah. also maybe to get Gnabry into another club where... Or he can play more games, or even at Arsenal. You know, if you look at the bench, we've got Jeffrey and Adelaide, we've got Alex Awobi, both figuring on the substitutes bench. You'd think Nabry would uh, be above them in the pecking order because he's really not worked out for him at West Brom at all, has it? I mean, he's barely had a kick. So, yeah. whatever I mean, happens with him in, in the second half of the season, they think, you think you'd think they'd want to change it up. Yeah, I do wonder. I mean, I think it's easy for Arsenal fans to point the finger at Tony Pulis, who's clearly not a very popular character mm. uh, amongst Arsenal fans, and say, well, this is all down to Pulis. But I do wonder if you have to look at uh, the Gnabry situation um, with a bit more distance. Perhaps there's a good reason why he hasn't featured for. Uh, for West Brom at all. Yeah, who knows? I mean, Pulis is the guy watching him in, in training week in, week out. I don't I don't know, but I can't imagine that if there was any uh, beef, for want of a better word, between Arsene and Pulis over the, the handling of Gnabry that we'd be, you know, shifting things around in order to send them another loan player. Mm. So uh, perhaps there is a bit more to this one than, than meets the eye. Mm. I mean, if, you know, perhaps there's more to Gnabry than meets the eye. He certainly seemed a little bit heavier when he came back from his injury back in the spring. I don't know if that's still the case necessarily, but yeah. uh, we shall see. We did, a, we did a story on Arsblog News over the weekend about Debushi going to West Brom and there was some, you know, people made comments about now we can get Gnabry back or, you know, let's hope that West Brom don't fuck him up the way they fucked up Gnabry. And there were some comments that came in from West Brom fans. which oh, really? I Yeah, well, well, I didn't publish them because then you just leave yourself open uh, for their madness. Uh, but they, yeah. they're sort of sitting there in moderation and, and not one of them um, had anything good to say about him at all. Now, I don't know whether that's because they didn't see much of him or they can't make any judgment of him or what they did see was was pretty terrible. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him because he was a guy who's who looked like he was on the verge of really making a breakthrough, didn't he, a couple of seasons ago. Then he got that bad knee injury and, and things really haven't gone well for him since. No, not at all. Not at all. And, you know, he, he was incredibly promising, 17-year-old, 18-year-old, on the verge of, almost on the verge of sort of a regular place in the senior squad. 
and just has fallen away. Injuries have played their part in that, but certainly this West Brom move hasn't worked out at all. So it'd be really interesting to see if Austin chooses to keep him around in the second half of the season or send him elsewhere. Isaac Hayden, I noticed, is also coming back from Hull, yeah. having not made a, a tremendous impression there. So that's another one who, I don't know, could go into that FA Cup squad potentially for ne- next weekend or maybe shipped out somewhere else yeah we'll have to wait and see but I mean you can't help but worry when a guy doesn't do it at a club like Hull or where he doesn't really make an impact uh, at a club like West Brom where he, he just hasn't played I think he's played what 13 minutes or something of Premier League football so mm. I think there's there's something to be concerned about there but look going back to what happened on was it Saturday it was it was Saturday still figuring out the days but anyway I know it's um, very difficult isn't it very yeah. difficult but where do you stand on the whole it's the sign of champions that you can play poorly and win situation. I don't know. I think, I, I do think this was a really important three points. You know, I was watching this game thinking, should we fail to win here? It will feel undoubtedly like two big points drop because Newcastle, despite some of their qualities, are in the relegation zone. You know, they are not a good team in this Premier League. And... It reminded me, it was a very scrappy win, but I do think it's one that we needed. And Arsenal spoke after the game about uh, the confidence that can bring to a squad because they know they can win in those circumstances. And you cannot always play well. And sometimes you need to know, you need to have been through that experience of not being at your best, your attacking game, not necessarily clicking, but knowing you can still find a way to come away with three points. That can give you a tremendous amount of resolution when you're in that situation. That said... I do think it's concerning the, the extent to which our, our game kind of crumbled, really. The fact that we didn't look anything like the side who beat Manchester City just a few weeks before. Um, I'm really hoping that that is a consequence of fatigue. I know I'm harping on about it, but this is a very difficult period. And for the most part, our results have actually been not too bad. You know, mm. nine points from 12 is is not horrendous, but... I, uh, yeah, I, I hope that's the reason. I would, it'll be fascinating to see when we return to Premier League action, which is now a couple of weeks away, if we're able to recapture something like that form. I mean, did you think it was a worrying performance? I thought, to, yeah, elements of it were worrying because, you know, A, I take that point completely that being able to win when you're not playing well is a really great quality to have. Mm. Uh, I don't know that we've done that too many times this season. So I don't know that you can draw like so many conclusions uh, from it. But what I do think is that I think players look at these things very differently than we do. We're looking at it, we're analyzing it, we're looking for the context and we're looking for the performance and everything else. But the players, when they come off the pitch at the end of the game, after 90 minutes, the only thing they really care about is that they won. And I don't think they're going to be thinking... I don't think they're going to be uh, disenfranchised or disillusioned or demoralized by the fact they didn't play particularly well. I think they will probably take confidence from the fact they didn't play well and still took the points. That said, of course, you want performances uh, to be better than that because I think against better opposition we might have uh, found that game very difficult to win and certainly uh, maybe even to take a point from because of the chances that the Newcastle had I think with better quality players better finishers you know we we might have been exposed uh, a bit more there so I think you know you've got to find the balance between yes it's great it's positive to do it but look let's not be blind to the fact that we didn't quite play as well as we do and I think that, that the onus on that particular side of things 
things is on the manager to try and figure out how best to get his team clicking again and maybe to find the right combinations and the right partnerships. I mean, do you think that the uh, the absence of Coquelin is being felt now from a defensive point of view? Because what's happened for the most part is that we've we've done more offensively to offset the the lack of defensive security that he provided, right? Mm. But when we don't have that attacking verve, when the game doesn't click from an attacking point of view, it becomes a bit more obvious that we're missing him. I thought so. And I thought against Newcastle, you know, you look at the possession stats, 51% to Arsenal, 49% to Newcastle, 15 attempts on goal each. Newcastle actually had more on target. This game was right on a knife edge. And I thought particularly in midfield, we struggled. Arsene pointed out that himself after the game. Uh, I thought the gap between Matthew Flamini and Aaron Ramsey felt significant at times. It felt like Flamini was kind of floating just in back in front of the back four, Flamini further upfield, and Newcastle were kind of able to bypass them with relative ease. You have to think that with Cochrane in there, mm. it would have been different. Um, I do think that his enforcing style in midfield, his ability to win the ball back, and also his ability to help retain possession, I think he's far better than Flamini at that at playing a bit of keep ball you know his exchanging passes with Santi Cazorla was a big feature of our play and I think an area where he was somewhat underrated so I think he's definitely enormously missed and the back four has have looked more exposed than they have all season long even someone like Nacho Monreal incredibly consistent all season I thought against Newcastle found himself one on one found himself isolated a bit more frequently than we're used to seeing and I think a lot of that is to do with the absence of Cochrane and his his intelligent positioning on the field. So it's definitely a huge loss. And obviously we've got Al Nenny potentially arriving very soon. But from the tiny, tiny information we know about him, he doesn't look like a necessarily an, an obvious direct replacement for Cochrane. He doesn't necessarily appear to be a pure holding player. So I'm fascinated to see how that chemistry works alongside Aaron Ramsey and, and how Arsene kind of juggles uh, what he's got available to him yeah. and to try and balance this midfield. I think what's interesting is if you look at the, the statistics after the game, passing stats and the way they use the ball, etc., individually, I don't think there are too many issues with, with Ramsey and Flamini in terms of that. Mm. You know, they're not giving the ball away all over the place. They're not making terrible misplaced passes. You know, they're both of them in high 80s or, or 90% uh, passing stats. I just think that as a combination, I'm not sure it really works. No, no. And also, I mean, ultimately, although Flamini has done relatively well, let's not forget, at the start of this season, he was, you know, third choice in this position. And I don't think any of us anticipated mounting a title challenge with him as a regular fixture in the side. That's not to be unfair about him. I think he's he's performed well. I think he's a very useful utility player in the squad. But, uh, you know, there is a massive gap in quality between him and Cochrane, which we saw illustrated last season when Cochrane came into the side and, and a huge difference he made. So... Obviously, that's an area that is of some concern. I think Ramsey is very productive from central midfield, but I'm not sure we've necessarily found the necessary balance that enables us to keep Ramsey in there and protect the defence. Yeah, that's going to be the challenge. Um, Mm, Definitely. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, look, the goal then, when it came, I won't say it's from an unlikely source because Lauren Koscielny has more than once got himself a goal against Newcastle United. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just, it felt like that it was going to be that kind of a goal that would would get us the points if we were going to score. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I thought, you know, we talked about Olivier Giroud's assist against Bournemouth, that wonderful flick from Mesut Ozil, but I thought his assist against uh, Newcastle, very important too. You know, really good header inside the box, ball high up in the air, got up to nod it down. And Koscielny got ahead of his man and, and tucked it away. It's a very handy habit he has of doing that. I think when if you have if you look at Koscielny and look at Gabriel, we're quite fortunate to have centre-backs who do have that goal-scoring instinct inside the penalty box. Mm, I think that was his third goal of the season, third Premier League goal of the season, and and not for the first time, we're dangerous from set pieces, which is a nice string to have added to our bow on a day when things don't quite click from a, an attacking point of view. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it was going to be it was going to be a goal like that, wasn't it? It needed to be, because mm. from open play, um, after that opening salvo, we just never quite got it together Mm. any other things that stood out for you from this particular game Um, I wondered what you made of the selection of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain ahead of Joel Campbell that surprised me a little at kickoff it did it didn't it didn't to a certain extent because I thought he was he was okay against Bournemouth I didn't think he was like brilliant or anything but it felt like the sort of performance that might have just given him a little bit of a platform to kick on a bit so I can right. see why the manager picked him because I think you know going into this season clearly he was ahead of Joel Campbell and I think probably in the manager's mind he's still ahead of Joel Campbell um, right. in terms of the long-term future that he sees for each player. So I think he wanted to give him a chance. You know, I didn't think he was particularly great, but I didn't think he was that bad either. You know, I thought Theo Walcott, I mean, both him and Theo Walcott really struggled in the wide positions. Mm-hmm. You know, neither of them, even though they moved uh, swap flanks from, from time to time, I don't think either of them really... Um, did did a great deal. So, yeah, I can understand why it happened, but I think when Campbell came on, he was a lot more positive. Um, and, I, you know, I, th- I think maybe at this moment in time that we're trying to take a risk in building up Oxlade-Chamberlain's confidence to the point where he finds some form again versus a player who's actually in reasonably good form, you know, in games like that, that, that was a bit of a risk. What, what did you make? Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was interesting. I mean, one thing I noticed quite early on in the game was how narrow Oxlade Chamberlain was playing at times, especially from the right hand side. It was almost like he was detailed to do that kind of Aaron Ramsey job of supporting the central midfield a little bit and allowing Hector Bellerin to overlap. I was a little surprised just on pure form that Campbell didn't get the nod, but I think you're right. I think Arsene fundamentally is kind of more invested in the career of Alex Oxlade Chamberlain. You know, he he brought him to the club for a big amount of money. He's given him a lot of playing time over the last few years. And I think if you asked us in sort of places bet on who's going to be a bigger contributor to Arsenal over the next five years, I think the Ox would come out on top. So I think whenever he can, he'll probably opt for him. But I, I agree with you that he didn't have a good game. I thought Theo Walcott though was as poor. I thought Olivier Giroud apart from that that vital assist didn't have a great game. So I think it's unfair. I think he's probably taken a little bit too much stick Oxlade Chamberlain just because, you know, he's um he's a bit of a lightning rod at the moment, isn't he? He's, he's been in poor form and I suppose it's a, an easier observation to make, but I thought there were others who were as culpable against Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think it worked at all from an attacking point of view. So to single out one player over the others seems a, a little bit harsh to me, but I, you know, I do accept the fact that his form is, is a bit of a worry. Um, you know, there was that moment really early in the game when Bellerin got down the right-hand mm. side, and I think had the cross been 
better from Bellerin. It was a poor cross. He sort of hit it at knee height towards Oxlade-Chamberlain. Yeah, Yeah, rather than just along the ground, just pulling it back along the ground. I mean, look, Oxlade-Chamberlain could have shot it over the bar for all we know. But, you know, I think if that chance had been presented to him better and he he could have put one away, then maybe that's the rebuilding that, that he might need. So... Uh, we'll we'll have to wait and see and and just uh, and just see what happens. Particularly this weekend, coming up with a game against Sunderland, and it's the FA Cup, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit in terms of the in terms of the questions. But um, is there much scope for him to rotate? I think I don't know. I mean, there's a story floating around. I think it's on the Telegraph today that Arsenal have given a few players a few days off and, and may indeed rest a number of players for this match. Um, I, I can understand that temptation because someone like Mesut Ozil, you know, he played every game across the Christmas period. Hector Bellerin's another one. Um, I, I do think that uh, Olivier Giroud, there are more, but I, I think, I don't know, I mean, we, haven't got, we haven't got much depth, have we? I no. Mean, even with the likes of Gnabry and Hayden coming back in, I don't necessarily think Arsenal want to use them if they're going to go back out on loan. Um, so I, I, it's hard to say. I don't think there are that many options available. Are we expecting any players back from injury, potentially... Mikel Arteta, maybe? Arteta, I think maybe Alexis. The manager said he could be back, so I wonder yeah. would he give him a run out in the Sunderland game, you know, in order to sort of build up his fitness ahead of the, the Liverpool game, which is on the Wednesday of the following week. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he played quite a fringy squad for this one, to be honest. Um, you know, we've won the FA Cup twice. We've got enough FA Cups. Yeah. <laughs> Well, loads of those. I'm not sure we're going to look at it like that, but I think, you know, when you're in this position and you do have a squad that's quite thin, you have to make decisions based on your priorities in the season. And it would be fair to say that the priority of the season, uh, this season would be the Premier League based on based on where we are. The, the worry, of course, is that if you do rest uh, Mesut Ozil and if you do rest Olivier Giroud and if you do rest, you know, uh, Hector Bellerin, particularly if Debussy goes off, you're, you're looking at Chambers at right back. And, you know, I, I still think he can do a job there. But you are looking at quite a number of changes in the team. Mm. Um, and I wonder what way Sunderland will approach it as well. I wonder, will they look at this as a way of building confidence? If they can beat a slightly weakened Arsenal team, would that give them some confidence? Or are they going to look at their own Premier League position and think, shit, we need to keep our best players uh, more fresh for our next league game? Well, I think Sam Allardyce has got form for that, for sort of, you know, I wouldn't say chucking the cups, but fielding rotated sides, certainly, in order to give himself the best chance of possible in surviving in the Premier League, which they absolutely need to do. I mean, they beat Aston Villa at the weekend, which leaves Villa in a terrible position, but they are still 19th. So, you know, they, there's a lot of work for, for Allardyce and Co to do. So I, I can't see this being a massive priority for them. It's a difficult draw. Arsenal, you know, obviously we want to go through. Obviously we want to have a good run. To you know, to get to a third consecutive FA Cup final would be fantastic. But you're absolutely right that at the moment the league has to take precedence. It's a superb opportunity. And I do think that someone like Mesut Ozil is going to need a rest at some stage. Mm. And when you look at the the league fixtures we've got coming up, you know, travelling to Liverpool, travelling to Stoke, hosting Chelsea, 
this has to be the game, really, if yeah. you give him that opportunity. So I, I'd be very surprised if, if he plays against them. Yeah, particularly as he was talking during the week, wasn't he, about how he doesn't really train very much at the moment, Ozil. That, mm. I, you know, to some extent, it's about him just being naturally fit. But I think the, the underlying thing that I got from that was that they're nursing him to an extent, that they don't want him to pick up any injuries during training, that if he is carrying something small that he's, he's, uh, he's carrying into games, that you don't want to then... Uh, lose him in, in training yeah exactly yeah. so so we'll see alright well look that's uh, that's to come this weekend uh, anything else from the weekend catch your eye before we go on to part two uh, I'm just trying to have a think really uh, I don't know not particularly I didn't feel like it was a great round of fixtures it's a bit depressing to see Chelsea win a game and Manchester United win yeah, a game yeah. at long last um, but uh, other than that no I mean as I say City looking I want to Spurs I was glad to see them drop a couple of points at Everton because I don't like saying it but they've been worrying me a little they've been playing some very good football mm. um, Leicester they dropped points as well did they not? They did they did yeah so I mean it felt like it was all in all quite quite positive couple of days for us yeah well look we're, we're top of the table it's a nice place to be so we'll, uh, we'll listen it's in our hands all we need to do is win the next 18 games and we will definitely be champions easy easy peasy come on we're on the home straight, guys. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a short break. We're back with part two and your questions right after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. James, uh, I guess we should mention that this is Arscast Extra number 100. 100. Mm. Mm. Incredible. 100, almost 100 hours. Well, not quite that, but, mm. you know, plenty of time. Plenty of time we spent talking nonsense on here. Yeah, yeah. We should have we should have had a party or something, I guess. I know. I've got a party hat on. Oh, do you? Leftovers yeah. from Christmas? Bought especially, actually. That, yeah. that and my pants. So slightly different recording attire this time around. I wasn't on, I like, didn't really look at Twitter on Christmas Day and stuff, but I did notice a lot of people tweeting at me that they got the mood fish in their Christmas cracker. Yes, indeed. Indeed. I didn't. W- did you not? No, I got a sewing kit. Oh, that is useful, though. Mm, it would if be you if you could an sew. injury. Or- yeah, I can't sew, though. Oh, no. I know. But you could give it to someone else for a Christmas present next year. Just hold on to it for the time being. 
It would be an amazing Christmas present, a two-inch-by-two-inch sewing kit with tiny little Maybe give it to a tiny person. Yes, maybe. Think about it. I will. I will. Okay, well, look, this is the part of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us very kindly uh, on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. Um, Will I go first, or...? Yeah, why don't you? I should, I should. um, Okay, okay, here's one. Given and all that the transfer window is open. It's open. We can do business. Yeah. Yes. This comes uh, from Sean at Sean Goucher, and he wants to know, with Arsene Wenger only having 18 months left on his contract, does it affect the club's ability to attract players? I don't think so. But then there are certain players who you feel that the fact that they're with Arsenal is closely correlated with the fact that Arsene Wenger is there. When you look at the, the very top players, the marquee signings, guys like Ozil and Alexis, you do feel that perhaps that his role in speaking to them about the move was quite important, quite influential. Um, but for the most part, I'm not sure how attached footballers are to specific managers. Like, mm. I, I feel it's more about kind of the pay packet, the size of the club, the possibility of Champions League football... I think that that probably sways them more. Mm. Um, although, who knows what assurances Arsene Wenger is giving about his own future behind closed doors as well. You know, he's got 18 months left on his contract, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's all he'll be here for. So, um, I don't think it should make a massive difference. I think at the end of the day, there's enough attractive qualities about our club that others would, would want to come here. What do you think? Am I wrong to say that when we signed uh, Ozil, the manager had less than 12 months left on his contract. Would that be right or wrong? Ah, uh, that may be the case. Because didn't we then, that was 23, August 2013, and then, of course, we won the FA Cup against Hull in 2014, at which point he then signed a brand new deal. You're absolutely right. So I don't think it necessarily has an impact, you know, in that sense. Um, yeah, I think you're right to say that the, the profile, the wages, the potential for for winning trophies etc cetera, etc cetera. i think that's a bigger issue than the manager but i you know i think you can still say that arsene banger is clearly a draw for for many players because of his profile in the game and his experience and pretty much every player apart from you know one or two bad apples uh, pretty much every player who's played under him you know talks very uh, fondly of him and how he's how he's helped their career and helped them as a footballer so um yeah i think it has an impact but i don't think it's the be all and end all by any means I think I think it was probably more important when financially we were less able to compete with some of the other big clubs. I think then he became a kind of equalising factor. But now that we're on a strong financial footing, we pay big, big wages, uh, I think it's probably less significant. And I certainly think that, you know, as long as he's in charge, his influence will still be exerted in that way. I don't think the fact that his deal's got, you know, a year and a half left to run should, should create any problems, really. All right, then. OK, that's that. Um, on the subject of Arsene Wenger, actually, this is a bit of a, a, a silly one, but from James Yusuf at J underscore Yusuf7, he asked, going to be different here, your thoughts when seeing Wenger wearing a tracksuit? Do not care. Genuinely don't care. Don't care about the coat. Don't care about the zip. I don't care what he wears. He could go out there wearing a pink tutu and a, a Sex Pistols t-shirt for all I care. I really do not give a shit what he wears on the sideline. I don't know why people get so obsessed about it. I don't know why people continue to go on about the zip. I mean, as if a man fucking pulling up a zip is in any way interesting to anyone, particularly the 57 millionth time that they show it. So I don't care. And I'm 
Um, he wore a tracksuit while it was pissing rain. Who knows? He might have changed. Did he change at halftime? I don't know. I don't care. Who gives a fuck? I care deeply because I feel like he's sort of followed my lead as a style icon, <laughs> bringing the tracksuit back into everyday wear. Um, so that was, for me, very flattering. But beyond that, I yeah. agree with you. I mean, what's the difference between a tracksuit that Arsene Wenger wore and a tramp suit, which is kind of what you wore? That's true. It's, I mean, it's a fine line. It's a fine, fine line. But he, I think somehow he was on the right side of it. Let's not forget this man is a a style icon, as was revealed in his interview with, was it France Football? No, L'Equipe. L'Equipe Sport and Style, I think, was the, there we go. the publication. Yes. So do, do you, um, feel, so yes. you feel he's let himself down by wearing a tracksuit? No, no. I feel like he's he's finally on board with a, a trend I'm trying to get going. So, you know, you're glad to have you part of the team, Austin. I'll be supplying you with, with tramp suits myself so you can wear them <laughs> on the sidelines too. J-Train tramp suits. That's what we need. Exactly. Coming soon. Um, over <laughs> to you. Your question. All right, then. This one comes from Sinkway Chanda at Sinkway. And he wants to know, referencing a moment late in the game, when Aaron Ramsey turned the Newcastle defence inside out, Mm, found himself with just the keeper to beat, and shot wide, much to the frustration of Joel Campbell, who was outside him for for a pass, for a tap-in. He wants to know, should Ramsey have passed instead, and is his attitude hampering him? I don't think he should have passed. I, I've seen the replays of that, and he did have Joel Campbell outside him, but there was a defender almost in the way. And I think having beaten his man twice and gone through on goal, for me, he was entitled to take the shot on. Yes, he missed, but it wasn't by much. And it was, you know, it wasn't a great finish, but I thought, it, I was actually encouraged by the way that he got into the penalty area and took that shot on him. I think we've seen him score that goal before, back in 2013-14. I can't remember who it was against. Norwich. Say Norwich. Norwich, yeah. yeah. Uh, he scored an almost identical goal. And I think that, yes, he missed the chance, but generally he's been very efficient since coming into central midfield. And I... I didn't hold it against him. I know there were, you know, Joel Campbell went straight off the pitch at full time and there were some people saying that he was unhappy about it. Maybe he was. I think players are entitled to be a bit annoyed when they feel they're in a good position they don't get passed to. But for me, Ramsey earned the chance to take that on and it's it's no disaster that he missed. I, don't, I certainly don't think it speaks to a bad attitude. I think that, you know, in some ways uh, he can be a bit of a, a glory seeker at times with his long, long passing attempts and attempts on goal. But ultimately, I think that comes from just a desire to make things happen. Uh, and I don't think that's a bad thing. What yeah. was your, is it, how did you see it? Isn't there something to be said for for having a player like that when we have in the past been criticised for a not shooting from distance or, you know, th- that kind of thing? I think when you do have a player like that, that's his natural game. And I think you have to expect him to uh, to to continue to play like that. I mean, look, I can see why people say if he could have been a bit more selfless there, it would have been 2-0, we would have wrapped up the game. But I think when you're a player having uh, dribbled your way through the defence to find yourself with just the keeper to beat, seven yards out, I think there are probably bigger questions to be asked if you don't shoot, if you're not prepared to take the shot, right? Yeah, he's kind of an anti-Kleb, isn't he? Yes, exactly. Imagine having an anti-Kleb. She'd knit you a terrible jumper for Christmas, wouldn't she? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's true but she she would love giving gifts away she'd never want to keep anything for herself that yeah. was lab, wasn't it never, never take the shot on um, um, but yeah look I think I think from that position he has to shoot I don't know why there's any criticism of him shooting there's criticism of him missing 
And I think that's yeah. the that's the thing that when you are in that position, you have to score, particularly if there's a guy outside you looking for a looking for a pass just for for a tap in. So I don't have any issue with him um, deciding to shoot from there. I do have an issue with him missing from there because it's probably easier to score. Um, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it wasn't like it was a crazily ambitious attempt on goal. It wasn't that he was at a terrible angle and Campbell w- was not. You know, it was very realistic and reasonable of Ramsey to expect to score there. And I think nine times out of ten he would. It was a bad miss, but I'm not convinced it was necessarily a bad decision. Mm. Uh, just following up on that then, we have one one here from John Hossein, uh, mm. who says... Um, he talks about uh, Per Mertesacker's miss against Bournemouth where the ball sort of hit him in the head and went wide. He, he wants to know, what do you think is the worst miss by an Arsenal player? And he cites Gervinho at Bradford. I mean, that was extraordinary, wasn't it? Yeah. And he was another player who at that time, Gervinho, just felt like would never have the conviction to score another goal. I mean, he was really struggling then. That's one that springs to mind. Um Another another one I think of is a game away at Portsmouth uh, quite early on in the Arsenal career of Manuel Adebayor where he missed two brilliant chances that actually weren't dissimilar to that Javinho one. Uh, and it was extraordinary because the first one you were like, oh, well, it happens. But then he did it again in the same game. And really we should have known then that the man was trouble. <laughs> you know what though I've been looking at this question and maybe it's something to do with my mindset you know I tend to I think I'd block them all out I think really? I'm, yeah off the top of my head I can't really think of any and I know that there are dozens of misses and shots and you know um, I remember of course last year Giroud against Monaco I remember another game was it I think again it could have been was it Bentner against Burnley and he had this ridiculous game where he he had about five or six amazing chances and he put them over the bar and he put them wide and he headed wide and then in his next game I think he scored a a hat-trick in the Champions League I do remember that I think it was Burnley I think you're right yeah so, I mean, things like that sort of stick in my mind, but the individual ones, I know that people are going to shout at, uh, at us on Twitter and give us lots of examples of, uh, of terrible misses. Um, I mean, Santi Cazorla has missed a couple of good ones um, fairly recently as well. You know, I think it just happens. I prefer to blank them out and not dwell on them. I think that could be it. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. But no, if anyone remembers that Portsmouth game, the Adebayo ones were spectacular. And Jovino, mm. Jovino at Bradford, I mean, will live long in the memory. Yeah. For all the wrong reasons. Yes. What a night that was. Do you remember how yes. far we've come? God almighty. And when you look at that team, it wasn't a bad team. Was it not? No, it really wasn't a bad team. You're going to look it up there right now, aren't you? Yeah, you can hear me clicking. Yes. Um, I'm looking at it now. So We're- we had Wojciech Szczesny in goal. Yeah. Bakary Sanya, Perma Tzaka, Thomas Vermaal and Kieran Gibbs. Yeah, that's, yeah. Pretty decent. Jack Wilshire and Aaron Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Cazorla, yeah. Coquelin, Podolski, Javinho. And then off the bench, we had Rosicki, Oxley chamberlain and Maran Schmack. Wow. And I mean, we that's... lost. <laughs> we drew that game one all, requiring an 88th minute equaliser from Thomas Marlon, only to lose 3 2 on penalties. <sighs> yeah, I mean, that wasn't. That wasn't. I mean, it's not a, the greatest team of all time, but, you know, that's a team that should have been able to, uh, to beat Bradford, all right? Those were dark times. 
They were dark, dark times. Dark, dark times. Glad. Let's not dwell on it because, to be honest, it's making me feel rather unwell. Yes. Feeling a little, little Jovino. Yes, I am feeling a little bit Jovino. But it's okay because you'll be doing that little Jovino down the front of your uh, tramp suit and no one well, will that's notice. It. That's an essential part of the look. Arson's yet to get that, but yeah. uh, that, you've got to accessorise. <laughs> um, Stain Devil. Would you like a question? Yeah, would you like a question? Yes, please. Okay. We talked about them briefly earlier, but given uh, the death of central midfielders, I thought this was interesting. This is from a guy whose Twitter username is definitely not a cop. Okay. I'm suspicious. Well, <laughs> that's me convinced. Yeah. They're investigating us. God knows what for. And he's at Andy Jackson. He asks, are you surprised that Ox hasn't been given a chance in central midfield yet? No. Go on. Well... I just think that one of the problems with his game this season has been his ball retention and losing the ball in dangerous areas. Mm. And I think to an extent, when you're wide, you know, there's a little more room to make up for it. But if you lose the ball in a central midfield position, chances are it's it's going to be a lot more dangerous for you. So I think that would be it. I know that the manager has said long term he sees him as a central midfield player. Mm. Um, now, whether some he's, of his best performances have, have come, yeah, out for sure. Now, whether he's an Aaron Ramsey type midfield player or somebody a little further forward than that, you know, I don't quite know. I mean, it's hard to know where exactly he's going to end up because you know he's twenty two, twenty two years of age now, something like that. Yeah, and you know he's, um, you know, he hasn't nailed down any position yet, which is a bit of a worry. Yeah, he's twenty two, so. Still time on his side, but it is maybe a bit of a worry that he hasn't developed as well as he can. I've seen people talk about sending him on loan, which seems an odd one to me. Yeah, I mentioned I think on here, but I just don't think that it's feasible given given mm. the injury problems we've got. I think we need him in the squad. Yeah, for sure. But no, I'm not surprised at all that he hasn't been given a, a, a game in central midfield, particularly as you know we we have Aaron Ramsey had let's say Ramsey fallen by the wayside, then maybe because we don't really have any other choice. But I think as long as Ramsey is fit, then he's going he's gonna to play. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's basically that thing of when a player's not playing that well, they're that much more of a risk in central midfield, aren't they? I think those mistakes would be massively amplified in that, mm. in that part of the pitch. So I don't think we'll see him back there until he's, he's in very different form. Mm. Okay. All right. Here's one. This comes from... Okay, hang on. We have it here. All right, this is from Larry Mbako at underscore... Oh, no, at Larry underscore underscore Charlie. Okay. And he wants to know, is there an underlying ill feeling from Taylor to Arsenal, or is he just a really, really shit referee? That's Anthony Taylor, who was uh, the referee against Newcastle, of course. Uh, do you know what? I, I think he is actually just a very bad referee. Mm. Uh, I don't really... You know, I, I'm not one f to sort of believe in bias at the best of times. I like to give officials credit and assume that they attempt neutrality. But I do think with him, the problem is just incompetence. I've seen a referee a few games this season and on, on most occasions I've been really surprised at some of his decision makings, particularly when it comes to the giving out of yellow cards or not. And uh, I thought he was really poor at Arsenal, Newcastle and... Uh, had it been a more difficult game to manage, I think he would have lost complete control of it, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's any malice, though. I just think it's rubbishness. That's what I'm going to go with. Yeah. I think he is just terrible. 
Although sure. I'm I'm really suspicious. I mean, I thought he was particularly terrible the opening game of the season a couple of years ago. Do you remember the 3-1 to Aston Villa? And he let them away with all kinds and Koscielny got sent off. Did we end up with nine men that day? Yeah, I think something like that. Yeah. You know, I, I think even if you tried to be that bad, it'd be difficult unless you were sort of one way predisposed I don't know. Maybe I'm seeking conspiracy theories here. I think probably he's just a really, really shit referee and has proven that not just in Arsenal games, but in other games. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, I think it's, that's the point, isn't it? He's, he's sort of universally bad. We're all victims of Anthony Taylor. <laughs> I, think, I think football's the real loser here. Yeah. And he's very highly rated from those uh, at the upper echelons of the uh, Refereeing Association. Mm, Apparently, I mean, that calls their judgment into question. I would say certainly does. Not for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's that one. Yeah, he's, that's he's that shit. one. Yeah, all right. Let's wipe that away. Um, okay, what about this? This is from Pablo Eagle at Pablo Eagle. He asks, "Are we becoming too reliant on Mesut Özil? If he's stifled or off his game, we struggle badly." Brackets: Southampton, Newcastle, by way of example. I think yes and no. I think we're reliant on him because right at this moment in time, we have to be because the other player in our team who can sort of really drive the team from an attacking point of view and somebody who's perhaps a bit more of an individualist in Alexis Sanchez is out of the side. So I think yeah. when when we don't have him and when we have, for example, Walcott struggling a little bit on the flanks, Oxlade-Chamberlain struggling on the flanks, Giroud beginning to look a little bit tired. Uh, and I think there's, there's, there's a level... Um, when Giroud falls just slightly beneath it because of fatigue. And, you know, I think we overlook how much he's played recently and how how big a job he has to do in every game when he's up against two or three central defenders. I think it's inevitable that there's going to be a, a sort of a slight lowering in his performance level. Then, yes, you become, by nature, reliant on, on Ozil. I think, yeah, you, you've got to find solutions, of course. One of those solutions is Alexis Sanchez. So when we get him back, hopefully... Hopefully that reliance will will ease off a little bit. That that um, teams know right now, as as he says, very uh, astutely, Newcastle and Southampton more or less um, marked Ozil out of the game and made it very difficult for him to have an attacking contribution. It's probably easier to do that as an opposition side when you've only got one player to worry about. When you've yeah. got more than one player to worry about, then it becomes a bit more difficult because if you focus all your attention on one guy, then you leave space or room for this other guy to, to make an impact. So I think, yeah, it's it's true that at this moment in time, we're, we're quite reliant on him. But also, the upside of that is that um, his performances are what makes us Reliant, and I put that in inverted commas, that it's simply how well he's playing means that he's going to become the focus for attention uh, from other teams. So I mm. think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a, a mix of uh, both things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we are reliant on him, but I think that that's a consequence of how well he's been playing. And I think that, um, you know, what, what, what choice do we have? We don't want to not use him. We've got to go through, you know, he's been absolutely outstanding. So mm. inevitably he's going to be really crucial to the team. I Like you, I hope that as other players with creative attributes return, that dependency will be mm. 
lessened. Somewhere. Sure. But, uh, and, and hopefully with a bit of a rest as well, maybe he might be able to get away from those markers a little bit quicker than he, he was at Newcastle. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, let me see. Oh, we've already touched that one. I was going to ask a question about the FA Cup and the Premier League. Mm. Uh, but we've sort of we've sort of touched that one in the first part of the show, haven't we? Where yeah. you know we do have to cut our cloth accordingly. Okay, uh, right then. Here we what go. What about this one? Okay, one go on. Well, we we touched on it earlier, but I just wonder what your opinion was. So um, this has just come in. It's from at T Morrissey Swan Tome AFC, and he asks directly: Would you keep Gnabry in the squad, considering our injury problems and his relative experience compared with the Jeff and Iwobi? Uh, I I don't know because I don't know what the hell is going on with Gnabry. We don't know what sort of shape he's in in any respect, do we, really? No. I mean, we haven't seen him play all season. We have this worry that he didn't play, not simply because Tony Pulis didn't want to play an Arsenal player. I don't think he would take him on loan just to sort of leave him on the bench just to annoy Arsene Wenger. I don't, you know, that's just, that doesn't seem plausible in any way to me. So I think you have to look at there being a good reason why he wasn't involved. And yeah. whether that knee injury has really affected him, whether it's uh, affected his application or or his outlook on the game, I don't know. I think it's a worry that what looked like a very promising player is now hopefully at, at, at a very... Um, at the bottom part of of, uh, of a cycle in his career, you'd like to see him uh, turn it around. But I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think with Alexis back, with Joel Campbell playing pretty well, Walcott and also uh, Oxley Chamberlain, who might find some form in the second half of the season, it's difficult to see him getting into the team ahead of any of them, bar a ridiculous injury crisis. So I think if we do keep him, it might be just to to try and build him up again ahead of next season and see where he ends up. But, you know, if we decide, if we decide to loan him out again, I think that will be based on, you know, what the manager, what reports he's had of him and what sort of shape he's in himself. Just having a look around now, there is some talk potentially about Brighton in the championship. I wonder if a move to that division is maybe more realistic given his, his lack of impact in the Premier League this yeah. season. I mean, I know a lot of people uh, liked what they saw from him and I liked what I, I saw from him when he was fit and when he hadn't had this bad injury and when he hadn't had a terrible spell at West Brom. I think, you know, as I go, I go back to what I said earlier, I think we have to look at him as the reason why he's not playing rather than some conspiracy from West Brom side of things. And if he's yeah. having problems getting into that team... I don't see how he can get into our team. No, it doesn't look good for him in that respect. <laughs> no. Um, I suppose the only question is, is he a more valuable asset to the squad than, say, an Alex Awobi, who is featuring fairly regularly in, in the match they squad at the moment? It was interesting. I think Iwobi was about to come on for Theo Walcott on Saturday against Newcastle. So he yeah, was I think so. stripped and ready to come on for Walcott. We got the goal and then... Um, it changed because I think we brought on, did we bring on Gibbs and bring on Chambers? And, Chambers, yeah. Um, all the fullbacks. Um, so that obviously changed the focus of our, our substitutions. We needed to get a goal. So he was going to give a Wobie a go. Uh, but again, yeah. I think I think the the thing is that they're, they're there by 
by default. You know, they're not there because they played themselves into that position. They're there because there isn't really anybody else from an attacking point of view, simply because we don't have any uh, any attacking players uh, to use on the bench. And that's not to say that these guys don't have talent or can't be a part of the team in the future. I just, I just would be um, cautious of their ability to contribute right now. So... So there you go. Yeah, I would be inclined to agree. All right, then. Here's here's a final one. It goes back to the January transfer window, and it says uh, it's from Gary Gallagher at Askin Too Few. And he wants to know which of the exciting players linked with an AFC transfer in the past are you, with hindsight, most glad we didn't sign? Ah, who are the close escapes? Ah, the near misses, the dodged bullets yes um i mean i'd probably want us to sign most of them maran fellaini he'd be up there mm. i mean i think you'd have Not. to say begovic williams fellaini meet you yeah williams meet you i mean has had a spectacular fall from grace he's now uh, playing in the spanish fourth division for a club that's owned by his brother-in-law or managed by his brother-in-law or something like that that's Yes, fourth tier Minos Langreo. That's wow. absolutely extraordinary. I mean, he was flying at Swansea, linked with every big team, went to Napoli, and it all just fell away. Mm. Um, who else is there that we've been linked with? I mean, he'd, he'd figure highly. And I, I'll be honest with you, I saw him score twice against us at the Emirates Stadium, and he looked like a superb player at that point. He, he, but, he had a, br- a really brilliant season, a really brilliant yeah. season for Swansea. Um, but I guess the true measure of a, a really great player is somebody who can do it not just in one season. That This is the Michael Ricketts thing, you know? Yeah, that's it. That's it. And I also think that things change quickly for players. You know, like, uh, I don't know, confidence is such a massive thing. And once that goes, psychologically, I think it can be really difficult. Mm. Um, nevertheless, uh, yeah, he'd be a big one. Can you think of any others? Um, we were never linked with Michael Ricketts, were we? No, probably, probably at some point before you know everything went internet crazy. I remember a lot of talk people wanting us to sign Christopher Samba. Oh God, yeah, you know that I, didn't work out too well for QPR when they eventually brought him back. Yeah, he cost uh, a lot of. He must have had a fucking brilliant agent. Oh yeah, big time, big time. Um, he. Because he went to Russia, didn't he? He went to Russia. Uh, he went to the same club as... Uh, was he at Angie with Samuel Eto'o? Oh, could have been, yeah. I don't know. One of these clubs where he got paid an awful amount, awful lot of money, mm. then came back to QPR for an awful lot of money and was awful. <laughs> um, I mean, there have been a few... You know, and, and you wonder, you look at guys who are currently doing really well in the Premier League, someone like Jamie Vardy, Riyad Mahrez, who it's a bit of a, you know, they're, they're a fresh story, they're a new face. It's difficult to know, isn't it, if that will ever be sustained. Yeah. Um, I suppose that's what separates people who actually can judge talent and do it professionally from the likes of us sat at a keyboard yeah. spending imaginary money. <laughs> true, true. I, you know, I think maybe next year we'll look back at not signing Al Nenny and we can make a judgment on it then, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to call it a day for this particular Arscast Extra. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with the Arscast regular on Friday, looking ahead to the Sunderland game in the FA Cup. And uh, we'll catch you next Monday for another Arscast Extra. So until then, have a good one. Bye-bye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.